0: You're listening to a rock candy podcast. Hey guys, my name is Matt Langston. I am a music producer, a mix engineer, and an avid unicorn enthusiast. And I would like to invite you over to my podcast, Eleven D Life. On Eleven D Life, we get to talk to your favorite artists, producers, and creators about what makes them tick. We take deep dives into where they get their juiciest inspirations from and how they keep from being cynical about all of it. We even get to pull back the curtain on my band, Eleven D7, and share some fun insider tips and tricks for our fellow Bandmates and creators out there. So be sure to check out Eleventy Life right here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network and wherever you get your favorite shows.
1: This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. you. All right, so this is a new kind of episode. I'm rolling out several new show formats for Sacred Tension, one of which is the AMA episode, solo AMA episode, which I did earlier this month. That did really well. This is a new kind of show. Uh, It is the book club show where I discuss a particular book with some co-hosts. Now, we're doing this because I believe that, you know, reading is important, and that especially right now where we're all online, we're all digesting tiny little bits of information, I think it's really, really important to encourage reading. So yes, this is Satanic PBS, and I am telling you to read more. Um, So the book that we are discussing this week, maybe multiple weeks, we'll see, we'll see how drunk we get during this conversation, is The Power Worshippers by Katherine Stewart. It is a book about Christian nationalism and the imminent threat of Christian nationalism to our politics and to the world. This was, in fact, the book that made me so depressed that it sent me on my months-long fantasy and sci-fi bender because i just couldn't handle reality after reading this book uh so joining me for this conversation is the king of the unicorns himself and notorious alcoholic matt langston (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) how did you know i
1: I know (laughs) okay so so uh matt is uh the owner of rock candy studios uh longtime friend and uh occasional guest on Sacred Tension. He is also the composer for all the music featured on the show. Most of the music featured on the show. Indeed. Yes. And also joining us is our one and only office manager, the amazing Madam Librarian, also known as Rebecca Shaw. Hello. She is really the one who makes rock candy possible right now. Matt and I are um, hot story. Yes. Matt and I are hot messes. and, and we cannot run an organization. Uh, we cannot run anything to save our lives. So Rebecca's here as the office manager to, to keep us together. She is also a librarian.
0: Yes. Okay. So and Yeah. She will your... also be one of the uh, one of the judges of our rock candy pumpkin carving contest. That is good. <laughs> yeah,
1: which which might have already actually come out.
0: Might have already come out by
1: okay. the time this gotcha. episode airs. But yes, this will be airing around Halloween. So happy Halloween, everyone! What better way to celebrate Halloween and to get truly terrified than to discuss the power worshippers? And Christian (laughs) nationalism, one of the scariest things on the planet. But before we start talking about that, I need to thank my newest patrons. So I am relying on my patrons now more than ever because I am working less at my day job. I am not teaching yoga at all anymore because I don't want to kill them because there's a plague. So uh, (laughs) that means that I'm making considerably less money and I am relying on my patrons to get me through month by month now more than I used to. Being a patron also ensures the long life of my work. If you enjoy Sacred Tension, if you look forward to it every single week, if you look forward to my blog every week. And if you want to see me develop more content in the future, more different kinds of projects, then the best way to support me, the most direct way to support me is through Patreon. And for just a dollar a month or $5 a month, $10 a month, about the cost of a really, really fancy drink at Starbucks once a month, you get extra content every week and you ensure the long life of my work. So this episode, I need to thank Bethany, Brock, Melissa, Nate, Chrissy, and Helena. You are my personal lords and saviors. Thank you so much. I can't do this without you. Also, if you are unable to financially support right now, I get it the economy is a dumpster fire right now and I really need you to first and foremost take care of yourself and your family and you might not have the margin well one of the other best ways to support my show is to just leave a five-star review on Apple podcasts that helps our digital overlords know that my show is worth sharing (laughs) with other audiences Um, so it really really does help this week's Apple podcast review is from Malibu 5880 And they say, fantastic podcast. I listen to a number of podcasts. SBL's Sacred Tension is my number one. His guests are engaging and interesting. And his side stories, Bodies in the Dumpster, for example... ...are fun to listen to as well. Okay, so Bodies in the Dumpster, that is a patrons-only story. You have to subscribe to get that story. It was truly traumatizing. It traumatized everyone involved, so that is another reason to subscribe to my Patreon.
0: What a lovely review, though. (laughs) Isn't it? It really is. That is just kindness put out into the world. Yes,
1: it's very sweet. I have not yet gotten a, like, raving, frothing-at-the-mouth negative review, but I'm (laughs) waiting for it.
0: I delete all of them so you can't see them, Stephen. That's actually... That's how that works. (laughs) That's very sweet of you. Uh, (laughs) All right, so
1: (laughs) so finally, uh, this show is sponsored by TST TV. It is uh, a streaming platform put out by the Satanic Temple. They have all kinds of amazing content on there. They have feature length films. They have documentaries. They have live streams, rituals. They also have some kinky stuff on there if that's your thing. And you can get one month free by using my code at checkout sacred tension all caps no space all right well how is everyone how are we doing <laughs> are we ready for this we have alcohol in the middle of the studio that's it that's Th- it just on yeah. the ground a not a i was going to say a mountain of alcohol it's a smattering, it's a smattering. I, think
0: I would call it a smattering it's a, it's a good
1: good little stash all right so i read this book earlier in the year uh, i read it over the summer like i said before i started my fantasy bender because I just couldn't handle reality anymore after reading this book. Totally understandable. Um, so I, I, I'm having to reacquaint my son with this book. And what would you say is the basic thesis of this book? This is, this is school. This is English class. Now. Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: I didn't know this was a pop quiz. <laughs> yeah, no. I, so, so
0: normally I, I'm the kind of person who really has to stay out of politics just for my own mental health. And I remember uh, over the last like six months or so, Stephen, whenever you and I would hang out, you'd always mention this book to me. And just the premise that you gave me intrigued me enough to purchase my own copy. (laughs) So I went out and I got it. And I was really, I was kind of shocked to discover that this was, that my entire life I had grown up in this very Protestant evangelical home in churches. And there were always, there's always this like weird sort of hazy film around our religion and it was always so closely married with politics and all of the people who I knew who were Christians somehow voted Republican and all of these different hot button issues like abortion reproductive rights and everything always seemed to be at the center of all of the election cycles and I remember all of the the rhetoric and the dialogue that my parents had growing up and different people within the church, um, people even within our church telling us that, you know, to be a Christian, they, they didn't see how you could be a Christian and not vote for the Republican party. Right. And all of this, you know, at, you're getting this information as little as five or six within the church. So like you have all of this weird residue and I, in my own journey have like, have been seeking out through therapy and through various means, a way of demystifying what it was that was my childhood, and how did I get to be this point where I'm in my mid-30s and I'm just now unraveling all of this weird spiritual residue from when I was a kid, and I feel like this book completely took, I don't know, the last 30 years of my cognizant memory of church and completely lifted a veil off of it and gave a definition to the things that I can never quite put my finger on, and it's essentially essentially the the marriage of of Christianity with politics and particularly within Protestant evangelical America.
1: Yeah, I feel like one of the themes of not just this show, but also our general friends group Mm -hmm. is that we're all in our thirties now and it's like, we're all waking up and being like, how the fuck, (laughs) like what, what happened to Mm -hmm. us? Sure. Like realizing that our childhoods were not normal. Yeah. And (laughs) now (laughs) coming to terms with that. So also neither of us are Christians Mm. um, at this point, but Rebecca is the token Christian in the room. She is not an evangelical, but it is nice having, having someone who has, a Christian perspective coming into this conversation. I will say I like to
2: consider myself a bit of a theological mutt. Good. I was raised Southern Baptist, so I got that exposure. Um, I attended a Lutheran private school, which we'll get into more later, I'm sure, um, in the context of the book. And then my dad's side of the family was Episcopalian, and when I started homeschooling, I became more exposed. One of my best friends is Catholic, and yeah. I met her through home through the homeschooling circles and went to a Presbyterian college, worked at a Methodist summer camp, mm. and then landed in orthodoxy, which is probably for a whole nother episode.
1: I wanted to start this conversation off with a definition that she gives of Christian nationalism, so Christian nationalism is the topic of this book, and basically how it's encroaching on on almost every level of. Mm of public life or or trying to at least encroach on public life and how it is infiltrating almost every different level of government as well so here's what she says this is from page four from the introduction christian nationalism is not a religious creed but in my view a political ideology it promotes the myth that the american republic was founded as a christian nation it asserts that legitimate government rests not on the consent of the governed, but on adherence to the doctrines of a specific religious, ethnic, and cultural heritage. It demands that our laws be based not on the reasoned, deliberate, uh, not on the reasoned deliberation of our democratic institutions, but on particular idiosyncratic interpretations of the Bible. It's defining fear, is that the nation has strayed from the truths that once made it great. Christian nationalism looks backwards on a fictionalized history of America's allegedly Christian founding. It looks forward to a future in which its versions of the Christian religion and its adherents, along with their political allies, enjoy positions of exceptional privilege and power in government and in law. That's an incredibly succinct way of putting it. Yes. Um, so we all, I feel like, grew up in this. Yes yeah. And so what what were your experiences like growing up in <laughs> in this <laughs> Christian nationalist setting? like oh things that you things that you took for granted, that you were told that now in our 30s, we we don't take for granted anymore and we're starting to question.
0: Oh my gosh, it, that might even be too broad of a of a question. <laughs> That's
2: a lot, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I know, we talked about sorry. this
0: a lot, and and I feel like the the book puts a much finer point on any of this than like than maybe any of us would be able to. But for me personally, one of the things that resonated so strongly in this book is that uh, Catherine didn't only write this book, but she also wrote one called The Good News Club. So i um, I was a part of this program when I was growing up called child evangelism fellowship. I was recruited from a small private Christian academy by one of their leaders who came into our school because we were a Christian school. And she said that she was looking for teenagers who were really passionate about the gospel and were passionate about evangelizing people and changing our culture. And so at the time, I'm probably, I don't know, 14, 15 in school, and this absolutely I was Matt. like, oh, yeah, I was like, this is this is totally my thing. Uh-huh. Like none of my none of my you other were a, friends. were. You were
1: a youth group kid. I was
0: absolutely a youth group kid. Like I I was zealous to a fault. Um, <laughs> I had very few friends because everyone was so damn sinful. Um, so I had, <laughs> had a really hard time making friends because my my interpretations of what everyone was doing, like everything. The stakes are so fucking high within protestant evangelicalism where it's like everything that every like if you had if you had a a kid that you wanted to be friends with but but your parents knew that their parents drank then god only knows what other sinful acts might happen in that home so you never got to go to sleepovers or anything or you, you know it's just like these really benign things now that we look at it and we're like that's not a reason for my kid not to be friends with somebody but when you have these religious teachings pervading like your outlook of everything me being a really zealous kid i was just terrified of the world i was programmed to see mm. the devil in everything i was programmed to, to that anything that brought me joy or happiness or life that that look out because if you're having a good time it's probably because of satan <laughs> <laughs> and now look at you right. look at you now you're here on sacred tension right and now i'm on sacred tension and my life has come full circle Um, yeah, but what, but this, this entity, Child Evangelism Fellowship, their, their whole purpose for existing is to recruit young impressionable teenagers who have a quote heart for God, um, and are looking for a way to channel that into helping to recruit people to Christianity to convert. And so we would raise our own support, our own money throughout the school year to, for adults to, or programs or churches to support us to go out and be missionaries within our own communities, and so I remember doing this. Like I wrote letters to to different churches and different people that I knew to teachers. Teachers supported me when I did this. And now, so, was this at
1: a Christian school or a public school? This
0: was at a, a private school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was happening, and you essentially raise all of this support so that you can fund, and they funnel all of this money through that like through themselves like through their own entity and they write you paychecks out like every two weeks or, or every week or so during the summer with whatever you have paid into them so i don't know entirely how i don't remember how this scheme worked at all huh. but it was is financially a little hazy as to like it sounds like what money jesus went where jesus avon yes <laughs> <laughs>
2: So we would but with go with children, <laughs> it, it's an evangelical pyramid. Yes,
0: theme. yes. We would go, they called us the creme de la creme of our youth groups.
2: Did they really? Yes,
0: of our schools. <laughs> I mean, they laid it on thick. We, we were the chosen oh few God. who yeah. were to go to these uh camps during the summer. And so, before you can go out and be a member of Child Evangelism Fellowship, you have to go to a training camp. Well, this training camp. There are tons of them that happen all across the U.S. and all over the world. The one that I went to was in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. So they kind of isolate all of these kids together, and you go through a very rigorous and extensive training for a week, essentially like them teaching you how to tell Bible stories, how to use visual aids to tell Bible stories, how to go into schools and essentially give you know, the creation story, the salvation plan, and all of this within a matter of, oh my God, I don't know, forty five minutes.
1: So so can, are you able to do a dramatic performance of, oh my God. of the <laughs> salvation plan? I wish
0: I wish I was always that kid who was <laughs> like I almost didn't make it through my because training. Because you couldn't remember every- because I was because they give you all of these, all these visual aids and stuff, and so you have to get up in front of all of the like head <laughs> storytellers and tell the story, and they have they like train you on everything, decide whether or not you're ready. Because this this is this message is really important. Like mm. this is what they tell you: if you if you get in front of these kids and you mess this message up, you're making God sad. <laughs>
2: because <laughs> you should have had
0: your shit together to That's begin a lot. with. That's you
1: never had your shit? Together? I'm telling
0: you, it's it's pretty intense. Like. I I'd I I'd almost want for somebody to go do, I don't know, of a, a documentary on what these camps are like because it is. It's kind of mind-blowing. Wow. So this yeah. is,
1: so by the way, quick tangent, this is the part in the book where she's discussing how Christian nationalism is trying to infiltrate schools. Right. But side note, I did an episode with Shalise Blythe about After School Satan, mm-hmm. which is a campaign of the Satanic Temple, which is a Satanic after school club specifically in areas where, uh, what is this thing called? The Good Child News. Child Evangelism Fellowship. Child Evangelism There's Fellowship good, good, good News, news club. Clubs.
0: It, it is. They put, on, they put on the Good News. School. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
1: where only places. So they they only go to places to schools where this is active, and they try to provide this alternative. <laughs> right. And
2: she talks about that in the book. she, yeah, she, she bring, does. She does, does talk she about that
1: up. after school Satan. Yeah. I think she does mention it.
0: Yeah. So anyway, that was our summer, and it was just us like going through this training and going into these schools. And I, I just remember we would go and put these on in low income housing projects mm. we would go into different private school programs and i remember at the time there being this this really big thing where they were like we're about to be able to get into public schools and so they were like really like all of us were praying for this legislation to pass yeah like if if my memory serves me correctly like i'm i, I don't know between 14 and 16 when this is happening But yeah, I was super into it. I was super zealous and I thought that I was doing the right thing. And meanwhile, you know, I'm doing this. It's like one of the highlights of my life. My home life is awful. Like I have not. And this is the one thing I have during the summer that I get to enjoy. I had been like kicked out of a camp before for being a camp counselor or I was a camp counselor there. I was kicked out of this like job. Okay, wait why i've i've told the story (laughs) i don't i don't want to derail it but it's a it's an awful awful story who did you fuck i i promise i didn't (laughs) (laughs) no i was just i was i was very young and i was very zealous and i was doing I was doing the best I could with my very limited knowledge. Were you doing satanic rituals? I wasn't, unfortunately. That's how I got kicked out. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Christian Um, camp. I was the goody two shoes. Yeah.
2: So anyway, this
0: now as an adult, all of these things, while they while I still understand how they are very well meaning and they attract some of the most beautiful and fervent people to come to these things to be a part of these programs. I understand this to be something incredibly damaging. I yeah. look back on this and I and I have so much remorse for going into places where there are impressionable kids with not a lot of adult supervision happening and we're essentially giving them all of this like very topical information about their world and about a Christian viewpoint and about Christianity that they probably don't have any frame of reference for and we're using tools of shame to to convert them. We're we're essentially like describing to them what the Christian idea or the Protestant evangelical idea of sin is and how they're inherently innately evil people who need to be delivered yeah. from this, you know, from this lifestyle. It's
1: also just taking advantage of parents be- and you know you mentioned Absolutely. that you would do these mm-hmm. things in, in in more underprivileged settings and how you know, especially when it hit the public schools, and this is something that Catherine Stewart talks about, is parents don't necessarily know that this is religious. Right To them, it is an after-school program, and if they are overworked and they need a place for their kids to be while they're at work, mm-hmm. they this organization takes advantage of that, and then the kids don't differentiate between school and this other organization to them it's all the same thing and so and so the kids see this as being sanctioned by the school right as as this is just part of school this is just part of education
0: there's not a clear delineation between what is a religious belief and what what should be considered a baseline for for public education in these kinds of circles right
1: so rebecca Yes. What is Tell us some of your background in oh boy. in this kind of stuff.
2: Um, well, as Matt, you were talking about being part of this Child Evangelism Fellowship. I was just thinking back to my days in Girls in Action, which was out of the, the Southern Baptist Women in Ministry, Women's Missionary Union. Sorry, I did have to pull this up on Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's funny, by the way, that if you're scrolling through the Wikipedia article and you go go down to girls in action the link actually takes you to ga passport which is a, a travel website so so that link needs to be fixed <laughs> <laughs> the the, Way to
1: con- call them out. the constant librarian yeah. um, making sure the sources are correct
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was we we didn't go out into the community as often we did do community projects but mostly we learned about missionaries and yeah. missionary kids mm-hmm. and this was where you know that that idea of evangelism was seeded and mm-hmm. took root yeah. and for for the boys because they did separate us the girls were girls in action grades 1 through 6 and the boys were royal ambassadors yeah and i feel like they did a lot of more fun things like they did car races like little little like uh matchbox car racing yeah type yeah. stuff there's and a ton of, of
0: gender role yeah kind of indoctrination that happens in in these circles for sure there
2: was and um like i was i was all for it and i i distinctly remember even though and this is like really interesting to me now looking back being orthodox and and for icons are big you don't have iconography at all in protestant christianity but we did have a picture of Jesus and we would say a prayer uh with the picture of Jesus and we would say a pledge to the American flag and to the Christian flag.
0: Oh yeah. Oh I yes. that. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Um
2: so this this idea of like twining Christianity and being American. And also together. brute
0: military force.
2: Yeah. Just like this whole
0: Onward, Christian soldiers! This, this oh kind yeah. of glorifying
1: of, of militarization, right? And of you are young soldiers. Oh, yeah, you're a culture warrior.
2: I I have a deep dive into into like being a, a Christian warrior.
1: Were you the one who was in Christian karate? Yes, that Were was. Were you the one telling us <laughs> that story? Me. Okay, if we could, you tell you, us some yes. of the, of that. Yes. Yeah. So, so so this is tangential to Catherine Stewart's book, but but the theme here is but the theme here is the same i mean the theme here is so
2: it's co-opting one thing
1: Mm. bring your mic a bit closer sorry
2: i'm not used to yeah you're good you're good good. speaking into a mic (laughs) um yeah no the the idea is the same because you're co-opting this other like quote-unquote secular Mm. thing yeah and christianizing it you're you are claiming something that was never christian in the first place right. and saying that you're reclaiming it
1: right right
2: which is not a thing
1: it's like the borg
2: it's it, like it's, assimilating yeah, it everything is. Yeah, it's, it's a spiritual
0: type of manifest destiny right where everything that has ever been ultimately deserves to and needs to be co-op co-opted yeah. into a christian it's version the
2: evangelization of, of martial arts right <laughs> Which, and it was interesting because it was a mixed martial arts style, mm-hmm. so it wasn't a specific style. It drew from, you know, Kung Fu and Tai Chi yeah. and Taekwondo. It drew from all these different um, backgrounds, but it was essentially a Bible verse memorization program. Mm-hmm. Everything was renamed. Yeah. And so I, every and single I, move. Every single move, every single Stance.
1: So, what were some of the? So, what <laughs> oh, were some okay. of the well, names here, for the different? So, here's
2: moves? here's fun. The belts. <laughs> uh-huh. They they were not just oh white sash, yellow sash. Right. No, it was the fruits of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. <laughs> this is so good. So, this is great. Yeah. The, <laughs> so they were named after this specific Bible verse talking about the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And each move that you had, your blocks, your punches, your, you know, stances, your katas, even.
1: What are katas?
2: Katas are your forms. Okay, got it. Uh, Different words for different, you know, histories. But your, your, you know, forms, long forms, short forms. Um, or as they
0: would call them, your loves and fishes.
2: Yeah, well, they were they were <laughs> that also sounds like, named. That sounds like something else. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they were also
2: named after the fruits of the spirit, so they coincided with your belt color because huh. they they incorporated all the moves that you learned at that level.
1: Right, right. And this really is kind of a brilliant.
2: Oh, it is
1: indoctrination program. Yeah, it's no, brilliant. It is, oh. and
2: you had a Bible study. So you would get a folder with your like your uniform and your belt and your materials and you would get a folder that had all of the moves that you would learn at that level. And for each one, there was a Bible study Mm. and you had to memorize a verse. So in order to progress to the next level, you not only had to show that you knew all of the physical material for that level, you had to have a Bible verse memorized for each move. And so by the time you got to Black Belt, you had hundreds of verses memorized. Wow. Right. And here here's my favorite part. When we broke boards, which is really fun, they had a shout hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> oh my God, I love this.
2: this is so good. <laughs> and
1: I'm and you know, I'm picturing like, you know, taking this fantasy one step further like this this <laughs> squadron of of jesus they were ninjas oh, here, coming out of a, a no, no, van no. they
2: were called <laughs> warriors of jesus warriors which is they were little warriors for the little kids and warriors for the like you know adult teenage class right. so right. you know
1: like I'm i'm just picturing like okay we're we're going to have a protest at a planned parenthood We're going to need the warriors to come out of this (laughs) van and defend the protesters is is where my fantasy is taking me on this.
2: We never, never got involved in stuff like that. They did do demonstrations occasionally, usually at churches. I, one way, one of the reasons I got into this is because I started homeschooling again, tying in with her book. Now I started homeschooling because I was in fifth grade at a private Christian school and got called a bitch. And was like, oh. I don't want to go back. I actually didn't know what it meant at the time. I showed the note; it was written on a note. I showed it to my mom, and she you was still
0: don't know what that means, Rebecca. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I mean, just weren't we? We were all three
1: of us. We were nerds. We Absolutely. were. We were all three of we us were, were nerds. Sheltered we were too. all bullied mercilessly yeah. in school, yes. and so that's the thing: is these programs. And and I have my, you know, I don't need to go into it because this. My audience is sick of hearing me talk about my past, <laughs> but you know, these places provide shelter for nerds like us, mm-hmm. Yes, right? Like they, they provide a, a safe place for us to explore our unique skill
0: set. Right. If you're a Christian teen in this culture, you're not having sex, you're not masturbating, you're not drinking, you're or not, you not are, experimenting Or you are, but feeling really drugs. bad about right. it. Right, right. You are do- You have all these different things, like in life, you're not hanging out with any of the, the kids who are out there having fun who don't have all of these weird... Uh, and you're not having conversations
2: p- about them either. Right. Which it's, it's, also it's ties into her book where she talks about, you know, these things just aren't being talked about. And yeah. this ties in specifically to the the issue of abortion, which she brings up throughout the book as right. a running theme. Right. So
1: I want to cover that specific yes, chapter about too. reproductive rights uh, later in the show. So let's, do want to get to that. let's definitely cover that topic. I
0: think this is a good... I think we've got a good... Sort Foundation. Of like, yeah, a thousand-foot yeah. view of, like, this is how weird and, and like, a subculture of a subculture yeah. that we kind of all came from. So all of these things made sense to us.
2: They did. They, it hit on a on a really fundamental level. And coming back really quickly to the evangelism thing, Matt, I know you yeah. and I had talked about this previously. Vacation Bible School.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Where yeah.
2: the reward system, like, you know, where you... You get rewarded with candy or treats or whatever it was for bringing kids to vacation Bible school. And the more you brought people, the more you got out of it.
1: And specifically, praying on lower income families. Yes. Mm -hmm. For this specific purpose. Right. Yeah. Of of evangelizing kids. And so I, I was in a missionary setting my entire life. Um,
0: which is different than a missionary position
1: which is very different from a missionary position now i spend most of my life in a missionary position (laughs) because my sex life is very vanilla but um
0: (laughs) you were saying i was
1: saying um oh god damn it what was i saying (laughs) um
0: so uh,
1: oh jesus christ where you were were in a you were in a mission oh yeah. yeah so so you know as i was in this mission setting a lot of people who focused specifically on child evangelism would talk about how it is so important to get kids yes, and and to get them during these formative years, mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. like this window where if you are able to indoctrinate kids, then you will have them for the rest of their life. Yes. like That's likely that you will have them for the rest right. of their life. and
2: Unless you're us. And,
1: unless you're us. <laughs> and, and that was just a... And, and it was just... Looking back, I'm almost surprised by how readily they just said it yeah how oh yeah looking back I'm, I'm honestly kind of surprised by how you know i remember speakers coming to to a missions organization talking about child evangelism and they would just straight up say you have to get them at between this and this age because yeah. that is when they're most malleable right
2: well and i think the flip side of that is especially again with you know lower income families or even young families you get you get the kids in, you get the parents in because the kids you know because the kids will pull
0: the parents in. the kids in.
2: will pull the parents in
0: yes, that's another part of it, yeah, too. so which is so it, sad because I feel like it, it, particularly within religious practice it, if the if the whole like i i'm just I'm just not sold on the idea that somehow you the whole point is to convert these people completely bypassing the fact that they are human beings mm-hmm. with their own souls and their own intricate value and worth. And the first thing that you do to them is to to bottleneck everything that they are into whether or not they will be a part of your club.
2: It is a colonial yeah. mindset. It is totally a strategic. colonial mindset. Yes.
1: And, and to that point, so Matt, you said uh, just a minute ago that this is a a – um, subculture of a subculture, mm-hmm. but I think that it's really important to emphasize. And this, this is something that the book really corrected me on. I think that there is this predominant liberal idea that these are just outmoded ideas, that these mm-hmm. are just out, mm-hmm. out, that these are just antique outmoded ideas. And that this extremity that we see in, in certain evangelical corners is 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 the death throes, you, and I have said right. this multiple times. This is the death throes of conservative evangelicalism. They are losing, and because they are losing, they are going to these extremes. And she really corrected me. Right. On she this. did. But she you and
0: I say that she because, talks about that because to yeah. us they are losing. To us, because they are to losing. us they're they're not making sense anymore. To us, they do feel like for, exactly. For, we, there's so many reasons to to turn away from this, or to leave this, or to disregard it, or call it fringe. But yeah, I think you're right because that in happened a, to me too.
1: In a global sense, though, mm. not only is this not antique, this is an incredibly modern, incredibly savvy, incredibly radical movement that is infiltrating multiple levels of government. Yes. And so and not just here, but all over the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it this liberal notion that I had which is oh the, these are just the death throes of a dying movement that is not true these doctrines are new mm-hmm. these doctrines are modern inventions and and she says somewhere in the introduction this is a modern movement in every sense they are data miners mm-hmm. yeah. they are strategic and it is incredibly misguided to think that this is a dying movement you know it reminds me of that times times magazine cover in in the 50s or 60s there was something like god is or is god dead and it was celebrating the death of religion well you know 50, 60 70 years later look where we are you know the and and the yeah. religious right has come come forward as this incredible force in america yes and and so i think that there's this regular pitfall that we're tempted to fall into Uh, When we talk about this kind of stuff, which is because this doesn't make sense to us, Mm -hmm. we assume that this is on the decline when that is not, in fact, the case. Well,
2: and I think the key point is that we grew away from it and that can translate to growing out of it and saying, well, we grew out of it. It surely this will die off with the next generation, Mm -hmm. which as a as a tangent, because I've been doing a lot of reading on on this at the same time that we've been working on the power worshipers. Um, Robin DiAngelo talks about in her book, white fragility, how there's this notion that racism will die off with the next generation. When in fact, that is not the case. Right.
1: Exactly. And it's
2: the same kind of faulty logic that, oh, it will just die away. But something that I've noticed for both, both of these things, Mm -hmm. it takes maintenance. It does. There are systems of power that were built very specifically Mm -hmm. and it takes maintenance which means that as long as somebody is maintaining it it's not going to go away
1: and as and as long as there are incentives right for for this kind of radical ideology it it will always there will always be the threat of it rearing its ugly head you know i immediately think of satanic panic where one of the things that us satanists get accused of on occasion is why are you so obsessed with satanic panic When it was in the it was in the 80s. Why are you so worried about this? Why are you spending so much time focusing on this when the reality is satanic panic is being reified in uh, QAnon Mm -hmm. and these Mm. old packaged ideas, these old ideas.
2: Right. They get a um, shiny new cover. They get a
1: shiny new cover and they get, you know, it, it's satanic panic for the media age. And, you know, it's not, I don't think it's anywhere near the scale of the 80s satanic panic where it had the endorsement of the institutions, and that was what was so scary about it in the 80s. But, but, it, but now we have congresspeople coming in. But it's able in. to
0: have those kinds of endorsements because of the very systemic religious right. things that we're talking exactly. about right now. Exactly, exactly.
2: Well, and I think to some degree it's, Again, and she she goes through this in the book how intricately tied Christian nas- nationalism and racism are. Mm-hmm. This, she being Catherine uh, Stewart yes. or Catherine Stewart. D'Angelo. Catherine Stewart. Okay, sorry, not D'Angelo. Yes, yes. Um, D'Angelo doesn't doesn't really touch on Christian nationalism, but Catherine Stewart does talk about racism and how these ideas were born. You know, like this this group of people. Bob Jones, Jerry Falwell, and others in their circle. And, and you know, something she brings up is that this isn't, it doesn't have one face. It doesn't have one organization. It's just a recurring mm-hmm. group of names, of right. people, and organizations that Who share are, an ideology. Right. They're loosely tied together. And how influenced all of them were by pro slavery theologians.
1: Mm-hmm. This is a good time to pivot to the mythology.
2: Yes. Mm. So, I have a so lot of thoughts we, on that. <laughs> so we've talked
1: some about the, you know, our past in this kind of Christian nationalist setting, the sure. infiltration of this ideology into children's settings and and the goal to capture the hearts and minds of children. Right. But there's there's also this underpinning mythology that— That this ideology is based on. And so one of my favorite authors, John Ronson, he wrote a book called Them back in the early 2000s. And the basic idea of Them is that almost every single toxic ideology and radical movement is based on a conspiracy theory. Mm. And and so he so he goes and hangs out with white nationalists. He he hangs out with crazy militia people mm-hmm. in Oregon. He, he does all kinds of stuff and he identifies core conspiracy theories. And, and so I would say that the myth of the Christian nation is the core conspiracy theory mm. yeah. of this movement.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think one of the the biggest things on that facet of this book that struck me was the mythology of America being founded as a Christian nation.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's it. That is entirely it. And the fear that we are wandering away from that. The fear
2: that we're wandering away from that. But as I was reflecting and preparing my notes for this, something that I was thinking about was how there are two other underlying myths that kind of got smushed together to create... That myth of Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. which is first and foremost, and this comes primarily from Protestant Christianity. Right. The myth of the lost years of the early church. Right. Everyone that I knew growing up talked about, you know, trying to get back to the early how church. How
0: pristine it was. How pristine. How was right.
2: It. And how yeah. how how can we reachieve that? And so that what that turns out being is like. House church,
1: yeah. Th- I was just thinking, this is a big thing, right. with, with the house church movement. The house church yep.
2: movement, and so like, there's this idea that those are lost years, when in fact that history is incredibly well documented. It's Eastern Orthodox. It's Eastern Orthodox. We know
1: exactly what the fuck it is. And, well, and this, <laughs> you know,
2: we know exactly what it is. But the only, and I was thinking about this the other day. My grandmother was a Southern Baptist who staunchly believed that Catholics were not Christian and the only way that statement makes sense is if you consider the lost years of the early church. Right. right. And mm. so that myth is very powerful.
1: Yeah. And it it's this idea of returning to uh, so Peter Enns, who's a a biblical scholar I really love, he talks about in the Bible there's the deep. There's a portion of the Bible which he calls the deep history, mm. and it, the deep history is the Book of Kings, uh, Book of Samuel, um, the the first five books, the um, the Torah. The Torah. Thank mm-hmm. you. I was like, is it the Pentateuch <laughs> or is it the Torah? <laughs> I, what's what's the Pentateuch? Is that
2: it's it's the next set. It's the next set. Okay. Yeah. So,
1: but basically, how those deep. It's a deep mythology of the and he's a Christian, so he he's approaching this as as a believer, but how those first books of the Bible are a political mythology to help explain the underpinnings of the Judaism that emerged right. from the Babylonian exile right and and in a way, this is kind of a similar. Thi- it's it a myth is. making. It is this timeless it's like this timeless mythical era, is this ideal, it's this Eden that they're constantly trying to hearken back to.
2: Well, and the interesting thing is when you phrase it as in, you know, these are the lost years, it gives you freedom to imagine what it might have been like, which
1: it becomes a Rorschach test. You can impose your own goals onto that.
0: You take your own liberties with it. Yeah.
2: Right. And so the other underlying myth that contributes to, you know, this Christian nationalist thing is the idea. And this is specific to American Christianity because there are Christians in the world who are being persecuted in.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Many
2: different ways. This is specifically aimed at American Christianity. Right. The myth of persecution
0: Right. Right. So, we
2: are not persecuted in this country, which is an interesting thing,
0: because in the church, you're taught that every yeah. that everything is out to get you, that you are constantly being persecuted. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I never quite understood as a as a child or as a teenager growing up. I how, never did either. There's was all of this talk about how persecuted Christians were. But at no point, except for like not having any friends or a social life, (laughs) did I feel persecuted because I was a Christian. Yeah. You know, it was just like, well, I thought I thought the whole like freedom of religion thing means that I I get to believe this and they get to believe that. And I'm not to impose a belief onto someone like, yeah, it's I feel like it just becomes this really slippery slope where everybody else is wrong and you have the right thing. And like the world just can't help themselves, and so yeah, yeah, it's it's a dangerous ideology. It is, and it
2: you know that this is how for someone outside of this who hasn't grown up with it, yeah, you know, looking in on it, it can seem so baffling, right? Like how on earth did you come to the conclusions that you did? Oh yeah, especially it's like looking in on Scientology. Oh, it is, and like you know denial of climate change right or
1: the yeah. election of Donald Trump that like how how, how? You, so how and and so the primary so we've identified several myths here one is right. the myth of the lost years of christianity the early church which people can impose their own fantasies onto the other myth is the myth of christian persecution but right. then the the myth that she really the myth that Catherine Stewart really hones in on is the myth of the Christian founding. And mm. I think the primary culprit behind this is a man named David Barton. Mm.
2: Yes. And
1: David Barton. And, and I have some history with David Barton, oh, not really? personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you saw him on Grinder one time. I was <laughs> not, I was n- not <laughs> David Barton's rent boy. <laughs> um, no, David Barton is, I think, one of the primary architects of the Christian nationalist movement, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he is he is their historian. But his his history is really this fictionalized myth making yeah. yes. of of the Christianity of the founders. When the truth is, the the founders they were culturally influenced. By by they were right. col- they lived in a Christian culture, but they were some of them were highly skeptical of religion. Jefferson was, Thomas Paine was. They were they were highly
0: highly skeptical of organized religion and especially being so close. I mean, not too far removed from a group of people who literally came here, like. Yeah. Right. Because of religious persecution. Right. Exactly. And Jefferson...
1: Or not Jefferson. Barton wrote a particular book called... This was several years ago now. And it it eventually got pulled by the publisher because... Inaccuracies. Mm -hmm. Because the the historic inaccuracies were so grievous. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called The Jefferson Lies. And basically... He, he tried to frame this—he he tried to frame the narrative that we have about Jefferson, that he was primarily secular, he was a defender of church and state, he was skeptical of the church, just all of these things that— that we take for granted about Jefferson, which are true. He yeah. says that is a lie propagated by secular historians, and
2: mm. I'm gonna jump in here and say my family has history with Thomas Jefferson can be traced back on my dad's mom's side. uh-oh. and get out <laughs> i I never wrote, yeah, I never read any of Barton's work. I wasn't familiar with it, but right. just because I grew up in this. You know deeply Christian environment yes, I w- had the assumption that because my family was Christian, Jefferson had to have been mm-hmm. had to have held the same beliefs that I saw in my family and no one ever corrected that right until you know until I was an adult and mm-hmm. read more, I just had this disbelief of things that I read, yeah, and no one ever really talked to me about you
0: that's what's so insidious what about this idea is that yeah. these things get these things start propagating in you so young so at such yeah. a young age you don't know that, how to identify them as false yes it completely filters the way that you receive information about the world and inhibits your ability to be empathic mm-hmm. to, to others or, or to, to take criticism. Or to take criticism. To, yeah. to take historical because evidence. Because everything is an intellectual Or upfront. scientific evidence. Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and so it really inoculates you at a young age against critical thinking and yeah the irony there being that thomas jefferson was the one who said my favorite quote which <laughs> is doubt with boldness even the existence of god for if there be one he must surely more approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded
2: fear and stephen mm-hmm. i want to jump in on that absolutely one of one of the things that i i love discussing with people i have been very critical mm-hmm. of my faith throughout the years and as i said earlier having you know a varied background to your self-loathing
0: faith finder with
2: a little bit um <laughs> anyway and i've had people ask me over the years like wait a minute anytime i you know would say oh i don't believe you know sure i don't i don't believe that homosexuality is bad right you know things that make other people go wait but i thought you were a christian
0: right right
2: and my response to them is always blind belief is not belief
0: right Mm -hmm. If
2: you don't have the freedom to question your faith, if you don't bother to question your Mm -hmm. faith, do you know what you believe?
0: Exactly. How
2: can you claim to know what you believe?
0: Well, yeah. And I think I think going back to what you were talking about, Stephen, like the, the the mass sort of indoctrination of all these different things, like the thing that was scariest to me. Within the book is I started to get a very clear image and picture of I started to understand my parents and my grandparents generation in a way that maybe i didn't before, mm. and I feel like I had a lot of empathy towards them, but even though I grew up in a in a, a culturally restrictive uh, environment and I was a religiously zealous person, I was always sort of outpacing. E- even my parents with my religious zealousness there were mm-hmm. things where I was like I don't understand why you guys aren't taking this Christianity thing as seriously as I am because I've been taught you know that I go to hell if I don't get this right yeah so like what I'm not sure what you guys are doing and I feel like there's this there's this whole generation of people probably like our parents age who are not necessarily on a a path of spiritual enlightenment they have lived in a time where spiritual enlightenment was so equated with political positioning that 30, 40, 50 years of that, and you can't see the difference anymore. Like, mm. so, so for them, it all whittles down to these very black and white issues, which the book talks about how we kind of get there, how they decide on these issues that they want to, to sort of, you know, bottleneck through christianity um but yeah i i think that's the scariest thing to me it is is that it's not it's not about trying to encourage people or the the christianity that we grew up in is not about trying to encourage people to understand thyself and to understand others and practice intellectual integrity and to to, to practice intellectual integrity or live into the mystery or simply just say i don't know In times where you don't, it's not a a personal journey that is edifying and glorifying and elevating for everyone taking it. It is a system of do's and don'ts and beliefs that create us versus them, right versus wrong. And there is no middle ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I don't know if either of you ever experienced one of these, um, but as Halloween is coming up and it is. Are you talking about the Hell House? Yes, I am. Ooh.
0: Hold on. Okay, so I think I think we should take a, a short break and okay. then come back and okay, so see if we can somehow tie Hell House. Yeah. <laughs> how how long?
1: <laughs> so how long have we been going? All right. Well. Uh, this conversation is, uh, far from done. So we're going to wrap (laughs) this up for now for this week, uh, in the coming episodes, we're going to talk about abortion, bodily autonomy. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Maybe we'll talk about hell houses and Halloween. We'll see. So Matt, which, which 11D song should we close out with for this episode?
0: Let's do Birthright. Okay, let's do Birthright. So, we're going to close
1: out with Birthright. By the way, Matt Langston is the front man of 11D7. He does all of the music for this show. You can find him on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to music. Um, His music is amazing. So, we're going to close with Birthright. All right, well, that is it for this episode. The music is by 11D7 and the Jelly Rocks, the artwork is by Ramakrishna Das. This is a production of Rock Candy Media. And this show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long. And as always, Hail Satan. We'll see you next week.
0: Tell us some clever metaphor. Sing us a hymn or sum a power chord. How about I just try and say something honestly? I don't think I what you're asking for. I'm just like Jesus Christ, why does it all go? You better go